Welcome to this week's episode of the Think Deeper podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined by my brother Joe Wilkie, our good buddy Will Harib. Uh, We want to start off this week before we get into our episode by just remarking, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't remark on the Supreme Court ruling on Friday. It came out between uh, our two episodes here, and while this episode is not going to be about abortion, we did a Think Fast on that. Check out our YouTube channel uh, about what was going to happen if Roe was overturned, as it was uh, with this Dobbs ruling. And so check that out. But we also put together a resource page on focuspress.org that you can check out and see uh, really how to answer the objections. The The rhetoric, of course, is heated up. There's a lot of fiery debate around this topic, as there always has been. And now it's, it's really come to a fever pitch because of this Supreme Court ruling. And you get objections like it's a woman's right to choose. You get objections like, why do Christians care so much? Mind your own business. It's not your body. It's uh, not your choice. Um, You're just pro-birth and not pro-life, that you don't care about them after they're born, and so you don't actually care about supporting people. And and even Christians have taken up that one. Well, if we're going to do this, then we better, you know, provide all these things or vote for certain policies to, to make these things happen. With all those objections in mind, with the questions of why this matters to Christians, with the scientific matters around it, it's just a clump of cells you might hear, we wanted to provide answers for that. And so we, we did uh, this resource page page on focuspress.org. Go to focuspress.org slash abortion answers. No space, just for focuspress.org abortion answers. Uh, lots of articles there. We're going to keep adding to it. Uh, Brad has uh, an article he just put out. We're going to tack onto it. I'm going to put out another one here this week. Giving Christians answers, helping you uh, answer when people ask the questions, helping you maybe understand the issue better. And so, uh, again, praise God for a good ruling. Praise God for the states that have already uh, moved to to make it illegal, and we pray that continues on. This is, a, in our estimation, America's greatest injustice, and we're very excited to see. We know it's very pleasing to God to see this outlawed. And so check that out, focuspress.org slash abortion answers. With that, let's go ahead and turn the conversation toward this week's topic. The Forgotten Commandments of the Bible. We were talking, what are we going to talk about this week? What's this episode going to be about? And we had a few things come up that we should do an episode on this, we should do an but none of them were kind of a full episode, but it was the concept of these things don't get talked about. Uh, there are plenty of commandments in the Bible. Some of the big ones, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, um, you know, the Ten Commandments, things like that, are, are things that... Uh, we're familiar with that we try to observe uh, things that Christians are conscientious of, but there are some in there where it's pretty plain what we're supposed to do, and yet there's not much teaching on it. There's not much application of it. Things that that kind of get skimmed over, or just by habit, um, we don't we don't stop and think about should I do this? How do I do this? And so uh, we've got six of them here. We uh, we all uh, we we have the preacher's gift of gab uh, to wax eloquent for a little while. And so we are uh, challenging ourselves to get through all six of these in a timely manner. Uh, we're setting a timer. What, what, what's our timer per point, Will? I think we're going to try eight minutes. Eight minutes. Uh, so you know how, how difficult yeah, right. that's going to be for us. But um, Joe talks eight minutes by himself. Usually, that's right. So. That's right. So <laughs> going to have to exactly uh, start uh, getting a gong or something. Um, so let's just jump right in. Eight minutes on uh, number one. Uh, on This is not a ranking. We've done that before. We count down or anything. This is just six different commandments, and we're going to work through them. So, Will, you've got number one. Go ahead. 
Yeah, starting the timer now. Um, so our first one has to do with fasting. Uh, fasting is something that, you know, some some Christians are actively taking part in. But to go along with what Jack said to start, we don't talk about it very much. You know, when's the last time you heard a sermon or even a Bible class on fasting? And so we want to address that. And that's going to be our first one we look at. And so just to kind of give a, a biblical background before we kind of start asking some questions about what is fasting really all about. Uh, from what we can see in Scripture, there's there's three types of, fa- of uh, fasting, three uh, standard types. The first one is just kind of what you would normally think of, just call it the standard fast, and that is complete abstinence from food. Uh, We see Jesus do that, obviously, when he goes to be tempted uh, by the devil, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, completely abstains from food. And Jesus, of course, does it for for 40 days, uh, near miraculous there. Uh, But complete abstinence from food is the standard fast. That's the first one. The second one, not much different, but it uh, incorporates water as well. So just call it absolute fasting. No food, no water uh, for a set or extended period of time. Uh, We see Paul do it in Acts chapter 9, right after he is blinded. Uh, The text says in verse 9 that he doesn't eat or drink. It adds or drink for three days. And we also see it in Esther, uh, among other places as well, just two places off the top. Uh, Esther chapter 4, verse 16, where where she says that she's not going to eat or drink. Um, So adding in water there, obviously you can't go near as long without water as you can without food. Um, But we'd also see that that fasting in the Bible as well, absolute fasting. And then the third one is kind of, I think probably what most people think of the, just the Jewish full fast, which is you eat nothing from sunset of one evening until darkness of the next uh, evening. So basically a 24 hour fast, uh, as far as I understand it, uh, that doesn't include water, but it does include any, uh, consumption of food. And it's, it's, it's what the Jews would think of whenever they would consider fasting 24 hour fast. So, you, you fast forward that to today's terms. We don't do a lot of fasting, right? There's the Church of Christ joke that everything we do together, we have to eat together, right? Got to have a fellowship meal, got to have a potluck. We don't do a lot of fasting. And so I want to kick it to the guys with kind of our first question. And we're already two minutes in looking at the timer. So we got to hustle up here. Guys, what's the purpose of fasting? Both biblically, well, we'll start with biblically. What's the purpose of it? And uh, then we'll obviously transition into today because it should be the same. So what's the purpose of fasting? I think the first and foremost is seeking to know God better, right? And, and on a deeper level to connect with him in a way where we're getting the distractions out of the way. And those distractions can even include mealtime, right? And specifically in the Jewish system, they take time for meals and it was like kind of a big deal, right? And now it's fast food and we, you know, it's, it's whatever we can grab fastest, but it's still the idea of like, that's almost even worse because that tells us our day is zipping by. Sometimes when we just take those times where it's like, okay, let's let the day not zip by. Let's make a time where we usually would be eating. And I'm just going to get to know God on a better level, right? I'm going to bring my petition, whatever it is. So I think it's done as a kind of a pursuit of God, if that makes sense. Well, and you just think about kind of the concept of, of what it is. It's telling God, eating is really important to me. I'm going to take this thing that is essential to my life, but you're more important right now. Talking to you, this this issue that's on my heart, you brought up Esther, you know, the, the extermination of their people was, was what they're being faced with. All right, more important than eating right now, I need to talk to God. And we do that with things in life that sometimes, you know, you can say, I was so busy today, I didn't even get to eat lunch, you know, because you had more pressing things. Well, when you look ahead and say, tomorrow, I'm not going to eat, and I'm going to take those times for, for study, for prayer, for for meditation on the word, whatever. You're just telling God, this is really important. Uh, and so it's drawing near to God. It's pursuing God. Um, you know, there's, there's other uses um, of, you know, uh, again, 
group prayer, doing it together. We see that in Acts. We see it in Esther. We see it other places. Confession of sin, when the people are having to turn their hearts back to God. And uh, again, just telling God, we really care about this. This really matters to us. Um, and, and so there are a number of, of uses as such. But yeah, I mean, it's it's dependence on God. It's... Well, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a couple of things that you see specifically in the book of Acts. It's it's a, It's almost, not always, I should say. A lot of times it's accompanied by prayer. You'll see the, the term prayer and fasting, almost as if, you know, you can't have one without the other. You see it in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14. Uh, they fast while seeking God's will. So they're they're used together, fasting and prayer quite a bit. Um, the other thing that I wanted to address, and then I'll open it back up to you guys, is where we see it in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is talking about um, things that we are expected to do as Christians. He starts out in verses one through four, give you a quick rundown. We're at five minutes, gents. Um, the quick rundown, verses one through four, Jesus says, when you do your, this is paraphrasing, but he says, when you do your charitable deeds, that's when he says, don't do it to be seen by men. What is the implication there? That a follower of Jesus is going to be doing charitable deeds, right? Same thing with prayer. When you pray, that's starting in verse five. When you pray, you know, he, he and that's where we, what we call the model prayer right there. Do it like this. What's the implication? Jesus' followers are expected to pray. Right after that is when he talks about fasting, starting in verse 16. What does he say? He says, when you fast, what's the implication? Jesus' followers are expected to be fasting. Again, he groups it right alongside with prayer. He groups it right alongside with, with performing charitable deeds. And so again, the implication seems to be Jesus expects his followers to be fasting. You got What do you guys have to say about that? Again, that's that's typically the place that I will go to whenever we're talking about fasting. Cause again, Jesus pretty clearly groups it right alongside with prayer and charity. It's easy to make it a, a Jewish thing alone, but we only really see it with Jewish people. And I, first off, I don't know that that's true. I think again, in the book of Acts, you see it multiple times um, throughout. And I don't think it's just a Jewish tradition. I, th I think it's something that as you just touched on, Will, Jesus's followers should be doing it. And in my opinion, it supercharges our prayers and what Christian wouldn't want their prayers supercharged wouldn't want it to be, hey, I'm I'm solely devoted to getting closer to Christ, to placing my mind on his kingdom and on the things above instead of on earthly things like food. So the principle itself, what about that principle makes it a, a Jewish thing alone? So my question then is, is it a sin if you don't? It might be. I mean, when Jesus says you're going to in, in you know, Matthew 9, he says, when I leave, when I go away, my, my followers will fast. And so he expected it. And so you take that, that possibly but i think the greater question is kind of what you're getting at joe why not why why would you right. not do this and and so um but that leads to another side of you know maybe you can't you know um uh my our wives have been pregnant for a lot of the last few years um that's not not a healthy thing to go on extended fast not eating you know in in that situation uh you know if somebody has diabetic and they got to regulate there is diabetic they've got to regulate their blood sugars uh that that adds a little bit to the mix there's there's things like that and so you say well, what do I do in these instances? Was, Go ahead. Here's the practical advice that I would say, because as we talked about before, we always want to jump to, well, is it a sin? You know, where's the line? You know, the legalistic side of, well, if it's not a sin, then if I don't, then I'm not really going to try. That's, that's a terrible way to look at things. The practical advice that I would give, and then we'll kick it one more time to you guys for any more practical tips. Don't obviously don't do anything to the detriment of your health. Uh, and that, that speaks to the, the pregnancy side, the, the diabetic side. If, if you're going to compromise your health or your child's health, you know, do everything within reason, I would say. But think about what fasting is, is designed for, as Jack's already touched on. 
you know, setting a, taking a time that's normally set aside for eating and using it to draw closer to God. So we should be, in my opinion, we should be utilizing fasting when maybe we feel like we've been neglecting God. Maybe we feel like we've been struggling in our Christian walk. Maybe we just are, you know, have a big decision we want to make. Maybe it's something as simple as we want to take our mind off the world. Those are things we should be wanting to do. There's no hard, fast line in the sand of you have to fast twice a week, or you have to fast, you know, this many times or this many hours. There's nothing like that in the Bible, but do we want to draw closer to God? Do we want to take our minds off the world? If so, should probably consider implementing this at some point. Guys, we're at eight minutes. Anything else to add there? Yes, very quickly. This is a spiritual fast. If you do intermittent fasting for weight loss purposes, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about specifically setting aside time to pray, not as a weight loss um, t- uh, diet, basically. Right. One other quick thing is, and our eight minute timer, that it just is what it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be food. Uh, if you can't physically do food is a good thing to do. If you can't do that, uh, or, or even outside of that, in First Corinthians 7, it talks about married couples abstaining from, abstaining from sex for a while for purpose of prayer. You know, like we're, we're not going to, uh, we're going to take the time that we would set for that to pray together. Okay, so that's that's kind of a fast. You can take a social media fast. You could take a TV fast. You could take fasts from from different things and, and focus that time on God. There's multiple ways to do it. Food being the primary one. So we'll we'll finish right there. Nine minutes, eleven seconds. That's ah, not all right. Terrible. Concern. All right, let's, all right, let's Jack, go faster. We're restarting. Number next two. one. Go for it, Jack. Uh, do all things without grumbling or complaining. And this one, every time I read it, it steps on my toes because man, there's a fine line between noticing. And complaining. I mean, you can look around and say, man, things are bad. You drive by a gas station and it's like, well, it's not good. You go through the grocery store and like, ouch, man. Um, but you don't get to complain about it. You can notice it. You can say, These, this is bad. The times are tough. You know, things are difficult. That's okay. But you don't get to complain about it. And, and you see that in the Psalms, you know, um, re- realizing things are bad. But Philippians 2, 14 through 18, do all things without grumbling or complaining. And so when we have that typical response to complain to to those closest to us, to just tell them, man, my life, this is this stuff's going on. This is so difficult. It's so hard. Um, but then that question comes to us. How much do I time spending spend whining about it when it says do all things without grumbling or complaining? How much time have I spent praying about it? How much time have I spent giving thanks for these things? And so Philippians really is kind of the locus of this discussion because there, chapter four, he, he goes in the other direction, right? And and he gives us the other side of the command. So it's not just do all things without grumbling or complaining. What else does he add in there? Rejoice always, right? Rejoice always. Right. That, and I think that's the... Go ahead, Jack. You have some all things with? without complaining, in all things rejoice. That's really hard, but it's it's all-encompassing. This is something that really bothers me about the way that the interactions that I have with a lot of Christians these days. And we've, we've had a joy episode before. There's not a lot of joyful Christians. Um, that's a generic statement. I understand that. Joy is a fleeting characteristic these days. But you read Philippians, and Jackie just made the point perfectly. Rejoice always. Rejoice in all things. And so you go back to Philippians chapter 2 where he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Go to verse 15 that starts with the word that. It means for the purpose of this is why you need to not, you know, be complaining and grumbling. He says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We live in a world of complainers. We live in a world of grumblers, negative Nancy's people that are just awful to be around. And it's unfortunate that that is, again, there are Christians that that, that description of somebody who's negative or, or pessimistic, they could be described by that label as well. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves what do we spend more time doing? Being joyful, rejoicing, 
about, you know, you know, rejoicing about the the life that we've been blessed and blessed with Christians, the nation that we've been blessed with as Christians. Do we spend more time being grateful and rejoicing for that? Or do we spend more time complaining about, you know, even things that are minor, how hot it is, the gas prices, you know, it, it's not wrong to talk about those things, but just the, 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 when Paul says do all things without complaining and grumbling, he's talking about literally a lifestyle of somebody who is looking for reasons to complain, looking for reasons to grumble. So ask yourself, what do you spend more time doing? Joe, what do you have to add to that? I actually think this gets a lot harder in a culture like ours where everything does come easy because it's so much uh, like when you think about complaining, when your life is on the line, you think about complaining when you're going to be burned at, burned alive as a Christian, you think about complaining for these things. It's like, man, we just rejoice that we get to know Christ and that our, our hope is not here. Our hope is, um, you know, built on Christ and, and how easy is it when things are really bad? And we look at it and we say, it would be a lot harder. Well, I look at it and say it's a lot easier. Here, we have so many things that go our way that when things don't go our way, how easy is it to complain? But where, do, how are we to accomplish these things? Well, let's go to the one that you see on all these signs, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How are we to rejoice? How are we to not complain, not grumble? Through the strength of Christ and really through Christ alone, because the natural inclination for the human, look at, I'm not even on TikTok, but look at TikTok things like that. We like to complain. Um, so I think that's a, it's a natural human condition for us to complain. It's through Christ that we get through that. And also giving thanks. He also says in that context, when we have a grateful heart, we're giving thanks. And when we're praying about it, let your request be made known to God. This is early chapter four, right? When those things are taking place in Philippians four, this is how we are to do things without grumbling and complaining. This is how we are to, to rejoice always by being grateful, by praying to God and through Christ's strength. The giving thanks one is is such a big deal because Will kind of got at this. It's about what you're noticing and you train yourself to notice things. You train yourselves to notice the bad things or to notice the good things. And when he says, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, that's, you know, be anxious for nothing. And so you've got things that could produce anxiety in you, but you can give those requests to God, but with thanksgiving. Be thankful that you can give them to God. Be thankful that you can pass them off. Be thankful for what you have. And and the way to train yourself to notice the good is gratitude. You know, Joe, I think you've talked before about keeping a gratitude journal. Every uh, night when we do our family Devo around the table, even down to the one-year-old, we say, what are you thankful for today? And he comes up with something, you know, and, and you you, you get in that attitude of giving thanks. You know what? I'm really thankful for air conditioning right now. It's, I mean, uh, yeah. I've been in Texas. This is my ninth summer, the hottest one yet. Man, I'm thankful for air conditioning. But how much easier, as you said, is it to complain about the hot air? How much easier is it to complain about just anything? And and so uh, you have to train yourself to give thanks, to notice the good, and, and to see the bigger picture. That's the other side of this that we're going to get to here um, is the bigger picture of God's plan of it all and uh, everything that God's done and what God is working us toward. Well, and the reason why this frustrates me so much, I brought up about how you walk into, you know, church buildings, worship, you get a lot of grumpy and complaining Christians. The reason that frustrates me is because what are we called to be to the world? Shining lights, right? Think about the example that you're setting for somebody who's not a Christian. If you're living your Christian life as a, as a grumbler and a complainer, you know, what kind of example are you setting? What you know, you're showing them, hey, this is what being a Christian is all about. This is how much joy I have. If it's not very much, if they're looking at that going, man, I wouldn't want to be any, I, I wouldn't want to have any part in that. What kind of example are you setting? What kind of shining light are you being for Christ? In therapy, Jack, you were speaking to this. In therapy, we call it cognitive reframing. It's the way that we reframe certain things in our mind to look at maybe a certain um 
something happened in our past, right? Some bad negative thought or negative experience or memory. And we reframe it to look at some of the positives and it can really help in our mind. And I would say, Christians, we need to be doing this a lot. It's reframing. And this doesn't mean that we don't, or that we ignore all the bad in life, right? It doesn't mean that we bury our head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist. We very much understand the bad. Paul, look at how many things he went through. I think that's also in that context of, you know, he's found contentment in all things, right? Before he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul wasn't looking at it going, well, nothing's, nothing ever has happened that's bad in my life. He goes, horrible things have happened. Doesn't matter. I'm content in all things, right? He's learned to be okay in every situation. So it's not ignoring the bad. It's just that we don't get rattled Joe, by it. Does, it. does it mean you can't share a funny meme on Facebook about how, how high the gas prices are? Is that what you're saying? Don't put me on the spot with this one. <laughs> <laughs> man, there's hey, some good ones out there, but I get talk to saying. Jack. Yeah. He's the, he's the meme master, man. No, I, I think there's some satire. There's some joking that can be found in it as long as it's, you know, appropriate, obviously. I think there's, it's okay to find some levity in, in each situation. I think, where does it turn? Well, I'll, I guess I'll throw this out before we wrap up. Where does this turn wrong for Christians? At what point is it, you know, okay, we're going from, man, these gas prices are high to, okay, we've stepped into the realm of sin. Classic, classic Joe asking a question with 30 seconds. Exactly. Um, uh, go ahead, Jack. <laughs> I was just going to say, notice, as I said at the start, noticing is fine. Realizing is fine. But you've, you've got to come out with that positive bent on everything. Yeah, this is bad. But I'm, I'm just thankful I have a car. I'm thankful I have things that I have. I, I'm thankful that I have, a, you know, the store doesn't have all the amenities I'm used to. I'm thankful that I have it anyway. And, and you know, these things are things that need to be fixed. You can't address the problem if you don't acknowledge the problem and, and work towards solutions and all that. But in the meantime still have a positivity about you have a, a an optimism hey, you know just don't don't be that black cloud nobody likes the black cloud and it's a bad example as christians and we've been given too much as christians to really start complaining like right. that so I gratitude, mean, at the end exactly. of the day yeah we've yep. been given way too much and a let's go to gratitude so uh that's number two uh, so fasting do all things without grumbling and complaining joe what's our number three forgotten commandment number three hitting the timer is planning ahead uh, James 4, 13 through 16, I have been uh, studying this. We've been going through James on Sunday morning at my church. Um, and so I've been teaching a lot on this passage. And, you know, just to jump right into the context, I guess, of James chapter 4, he's dealing with this presumptuousness and this arrogance that they have. And you connect it back to verse 6 in, in James 4 of God's opposed the proud gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And this is not a very humble um, a humble thing to plan ahead. And so I'm going to read the context here in verse uh, 13, 14, 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You were just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So there's this, again, presumptuousness and arrogance. They're also thinking about their own pleasures. They're thinking about worldliness. This goes back to, to one through four, verses one through four, um, where he mentions pleasures in verse one, uh, that wage war in their members, the pleasures in verse three, and then this friendship with the world in verse four. And so there's this worldliness and they want to think about the world a lot and putting themselves above others, which you see in three, 13 through 18, four, one through three, four, 11 and 12. They're judging their brothers, right? They're putting themselves above their brothers. And so that's kind of the context here. Um, you can connect this to Luke 12, though, with this parable of the barns of the man who's I'm going to build bigger barns and, and better barns. Right. And what is, you know, what Jesus in the parable talks about, God says your soul is required of you tonight. Right. So the man dies having made all these plans for grander barns. And 
I'm going to kick it to you guys knowing this and, and seeing this. And this is a very common passage. We often quoted of your life is just a vapor. Um, how do we see this today? Jack, I'm going to kick it to you. How do we see this today um, with this planning ahead? I, I think the last two years, we, we just live in a different world than we did two plus years ago, right? I mean, COVID and, and everything that's followed, the economic fallout where we are, the things we just talked about, gas prices and things like that. I, I, I had plans. I, you know, my family was uh, going to go on vacation to uh, California and we were planning on it and we were looking at tickets and we were getting everything together and budgeting and all that just didn't get to happen and hasn't happened and probably will never happen. I mean, in the meantime, we had uh, the baby and then twins. We're just not doing it anymore. I had no idea. And I had, I had, I knew the first one was coming cause he was shortly after two more. We don't get to make you that wanna, trip anymore. You, mean, you know, you don't want to take four kids under four to California. Yeah, exactly. Dri- driving the coast driving. with <laughs> minivan full of screaming kids. Um, but you know, economically, I uh, just, there's, there's a million things that have changed. And, and so we, but we plan ahead in life. We plan ahead for vacations. We plan ahead for retirement. We plan ahead just for our day to day. And, and then, uh, you know, when things happen that knock those things off, we get disappointed. We get angry because man, I was going to do this. And it just reminds you, you're not in control of anything. I mean, tomorrow, you don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the rest of the day holds. You know, just, and, and, and that reminder that we're not in control, we really don't like because it's very uncomfortable because we live the rest of our time as if we are in, under control of, of the, the, the life is kind of in our hands to do what we want to with it. And that's not true. And, and things like this remind us of that. This particular one steps on my toes, especially uh, because I'm a, I'm a planner by nature. Um, I got my calendar. I got my to-do list. I like to have plans. I like to know what we're doing. You know, I'd have my whole day planned out most of the time, you know, hour by hour if I could, just because I want to know, you know, okay, what am I, what am I doing next? And so I, I don't know. I think this one, you know, the question you have to ask yourself, how angry are you getting when things don't go your way? You know, if you have a, if you have plans and, and something comes up and we're talking minor and we're talking major, obviously Jack brought up COVID that threw the world out of whack more than anything, at least in my lifetime that I've ever seen. Uh, and I'm, and I'm 20, 22 years old. So Basically that's in history. Major. I mean, right. the, the entire know. world ground to a halt, maybe with the exception of, of, a, of a war or something, nothing could have thrown it out of whack more. But the point is that's something major. What about something minor, you know? a certain, uh, you know, a trip, uh, even a night out or something with your, with your spouse, a date, something doesn't go your way. How angry are you getting? Uh, the, the point is the, the lack of faith. And you see, you see this with politics quite a bit as well. You know, when, when a certain candidate doesn't get elected, it's, it's the end of the world because you know, the, the person we voted for didn't win and this country is just going to go down the tank. And I, I think about Luke 12 a lot, Joe, you already brought up the parable of the rich fool. Was he, was he reprimanded for making plans? Was he reprimanded for the way that he was trying to, to grow his business, it seems? Doesn't seem that way to me. It seems like he was reprimanded for, for making those plans without any thought of God, without mm-hmm. any thought of eternity, without any thought of, okay, what does this mean for my eternal inheritance, my eternal salvation? He wasn't doing any of that. He was making his plans selfishly. He was making his plans all about himself. To me, that's, that's the most important thing, but I'll kick that to you guys. Where's the line here? You know, we're always looking for a line. Does that mean we shouldn't make plans? To what extent are we saying here, hey, you know, quit planning, just live your life as if you don't need to make any plans? Jesus talks about the man who goes out to war. What man would go out to war and not count the troops, right? What man would go to uh, build a tower, and, right? And the idea yeah. is counting the cost, right? But yeah, building the tower and doesn't know if he's got enough materials and such. Like there is a planning ahead aspect where you look ahead. And in the Christian life, of course, it's more of the, um, 
counting the costs again is, is the, the context there. So I don't take it out of context, but the idea there is we do plan ahead. We plan ahead for our spiritual future, right? I mean, we plan James ahead 4 for assumes heaven. that. It says, if the Lord right. wills, we will do such and such. Well, the we will do such and such is planning. It's so he doesn't take the planning, planning out of it. Right. right. It's just right. humble planning and, and re recognition. I think one of the other things is planning in such a way that it's not just me, me, me. Because that's where we really get into the I'm in control. And uh, there was a really famous, you know, went went around the world, John Piper sermon a few years ago. Um, and it turned into a book, Don't Waste Your Life. And he talks about this couple that didn't have kids. They, they just, you know, worked 100 plus hours a week so they could retire at 40 years old and travel the world and collect seashells from beaches all over the world. And I mean, just millionaires and invested and all that. And that was their plan in life. And he's like, what a waste. What yeah. a waste of all the good you can accomplish and all you're doing it is on you, your selfish pursuits, and all you've got to show for it is some seashells. And so, you know, that was their plan and they planned it. And, and again, one of them could have got hit by a bus and then it all would have been come to naught. One of them, you know, I just, those things can happen. And so using your time for God as well, using your life for, for his purposes, because that's one of the reasons why he reroutes us. We've got these plans. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he's like, but I need you to do this. And you see Paul, hey, I really want to go here. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going there. I need you to go right, here, right. you know, and so leave the, the, the plans in God's hands and, and he'll make of them what they will. I, I think the, if the Lord wills is the key. And that's because he's already told them to submit to God earlier in that, you know, verse seven, uh, for verse seven, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is submitting our future to God. That's what it is, is putting it in his hands. Well, your point about the anger, what does that show? It shows that, look, if I have plans, I'm going to a, and it gets diverted to B and I get really frustrated, maybe God's will was for me to go to B instead of A, right? And we should recognize it as such. We should submit our will to God and say, okay, this is what God wills. Because if God's will is in everything, and we need to get back to saying, hey, if the Lord wills, sometimes some of us say that, right? We'll see on Sunday, Lord willing, we'll throw that in there. We need to mean that. We need to recognize that he is overall. Um, fellas, any, we're five, five seconds, anything else? I think this will be the first one we hit the timer on. All right. All right. Um, Jack, kick us off on another one, uh, on the next one. This one's really big because I've seen it happen. You guys have probably seen it happen. I, probably most of our listeners have seen it happen. Hopefully haven't been part of it happening. Go to your brother. Uh, there's, there's two sides of that. In Matthew um, 5, he says, if, they, if you are going to worship, you're going to offer a sacrifice, and you remember your brother has something against you, that they're holding a grudge against you, that, they've, that you did something to them and they're mad at you. He, he says, don't go worship. Don't go sacrifice. Leave the offering Go make it right with your brother and then come back to God. Uh, then the other side of it is in Matthew 18. If you have something against them, if they've sinned against you, you have to go to them. Make it right with them. Um, and First John 4.20 talks about, you know, if, if you can't say you love God and hate your brother. You're a liar if you do. Um, tolerate one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. Bear wrong suffered. Lo you know, love bears wrong suffered and, and it doesn't take them into account in 1 Corinthians 13.5. I mean... Uh, Matthew 6, 14, 15. If you don't forgive others, your father won't forgive you. And so these relationships that, w that we have, but then you see Christians butt heads. And you know what? That's what's going to happen. The more we spend time together, the more personalities come in into play in a church, in, in any organization, in any group, in a family, in a workplace. If you spend the time together, and if, if you're trying to work on things together, and you've got passionate people coming together, what's going to happen? You're going to butt heads. You're going to clash. You're going to have differences of opinion. Somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. And so 
what you end up happening, uh, having happen a lot of the time is Christians. In fact, I had, I'm not kidding. I had somebody raise their hand because I was talking about this reconciliation and working together. I had somebody raise hand in a Bible class uh, at, at a previous church and say, well, what if you, you're just really not compatible with this other Christian? Is it okay to just kind of sit on the other side of the auditorium from them and just, you know, be friendly, like nod your head, but, but you don't have to talk to each other. It, like, can you do that? No, that's what all of these verses just but, said. No. The crazy thing is, that's what we see. Right. That's it what is. we see right. all across congregations in the United States. We see that. We see the silent treatment being given. We see just Christians that, you know, they will walk beside each other in the hallway, not say anything because they can't stand each other. You'll see church, church hopping, you know, is a, is a big um, issue, especially down in the South when there's churches all over there, congregations all over the place. Is that, hey, you don't get along with somebody. You have a big rift with somebody. What do you do? I'll just go down the street to another to another congregation. The big thing that I that I observe or whenever you know issues come up or, or you have a disagreement with somebody what is step one in matthew 18 go to the individual right go to the person right. who you're having the issue with address it with them we skip step one in so many cases the first thing that people do who do they go to the elders usually right hey are y'all that or, or they start the of... gossip chain right and they tell a friend right. yeah. hey so and so you know don't talk to them right. you know but they skip step one they don't address you know jesus lays out it is amazing to me how we can take something that's so crystal clear in scripture and just completely mess it up we can ruin it and that's what we do here because jesus lays it out so clearly here's the step-by-step -step process go to them if that doesn't work go to them again but with several witnesses if that doesn't work tell it to the church if that doesn't work treat them as a heathen and tax collector it's four steps we love our lists right we love our step-by-step -step plans he gives it to us and we still mess it up because we skip step one we go straight to the elders we start the gossip train well, I hate to say it, and this speaks just as much to me because I've had this happen as well. We're pansies. We're pansies, and we don't care about our brother's soul that much. And that has become majorly apparent over the last you know, couple decades is we don't care about each other. And we're going to get into that, into that in the next one as well. Um, but if we truly cared about our brother's soul and we truly felt they had wronged us and were in sin and we understood the consequences of that, why would we not? But because we're like, well, they'll just go to another church and, or we'll just go to another church and, you know, we can both be right type of thing. No, we can't. If they're in sin, they're in sin. Are we going to do something about it? Do we care about them enough to try to save their souls from sin and to go to them one-on-one -on -one and say, brother, I think you're in a bad spot. But then we also get into, well, you can't judge me. And the thing is, first off, we can judge, we must judge. And, and that's not Matthew seven that everybody points to. And we've done podcasts on that doesn't mean that but it's interesting in that context, the way we judge, it will be judged to us. The way we forgive others, it, that's how we will be forgiven, right? And so those things are very much in play. And are we going to judge our brothers silently and not say anything to them, not actually go to them? Because that certainly doesn't sit well. And, and God's not going to look at that with favor. And so, I don't know. I think all these passages of tolerate one another in love, right? Ephesians 4, 2, and bear wrong suffer, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Somewhere along the line, those just go out the window and... We, we think it's okay. I think, Will, to your point, in the American culture where there's a bazillion churches around, um, it's, it's really easy to just kick a rock down the road, kick the can down the road. Let's just go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one, right? Basically, we never have to deal with it. Exactly. We never have to deal with it. That's horrible. I think the parable of the unforgiving servant, too, is so, it, it's very powerful, you know, of... Jesus saying, you've been forgiven all of this, and you turn to somebody else and be like, yeah, but what they did, like, with a straight face, turn and tell Jesus that he, you're forgiving or you're being asked to forgive more than what he did. 
No. Right. You just don't get to do that. And I think right. that's why he's so emphatic about, you know, unity and, and tolerating one another and working through these things. And, I mean, like, what un- what impression are we under? Are we under the impression, seriously, that we can grow close together as a church family and love each other without friction? If you've got right. two people... Right. I mean, look at a marriage. There is no marriage in which there's not some kind of friction where people have to work it out and communicate and get through those things. Well, if two people can't do that, how are... 50 people, 200 people, church, you know, church families. And so you have to expect it. And with the expectation, you have to have the determination. I'm not going to let this come between me and them, because if it becomes between me and them, it's come between me and God. That's what these passages teach us. You know, him saying, I don't want your sacrifice until you go make it right with your brother. That is really telling. And so, not not that the sacrifice and the Lord's Supper are an equivalent, but that's a little bit of what 1 Corinthians 11 is getting out. These, this division that's among the church, and he's like, you guys need to examine yourselves before you take the Lord's Supper. You need to fix this before you take the body and the blood of Jesus, which is the body and blood that unites us, you know, that, that brings us together. We call it communion for a reason. And the idea that you can take communion and of the body and blood of Jesus, sitting 30 feet away from somebody you won't talk to, that should scare you. That's not okay. Right, right. Let me ask this then. I don't know how much time we got left. I think we got like two minutes, maybe a minute and a half left. Let me ask this then. Um, oh, goodness, a minute and 10 seconds. Um, what about the, the, the other side of this? That is kind of the minor issues, the, the things that we get so offended at that aren't really sin issues in somebody's life. You know, the, you know, well, they disagree with me on that. And so I really don't like them. You know, what's, what's the answer there? Obviously, I think it's still you, you got to go to them. But what if you have a disagreement about something that, well, let's say, is not a doctrinal issue, it's not a sin issue? What's our, what's our, what's our pattern there? I think the posture has to change because we don't have scripture backing us up per se, but I think going, it's about the relationship. And if you have something that will potentially develop into a stumbling block for you or into a, a problem between you and your brother, why would you not go and make it right? If uh, unity matters. Sorry, I forgot, like COVID opinions, for instance, not really doctrinal, but man, talk about divisive. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, no, no. I mean, just misunderstandings. You know what? Maybe they didn't mean it. You know, assume the best of them, but you can still go to them. If it's festering with you, you've got to decide if I can let it slide and they didn't sin against me, I got to let it slide. But if it keeps coming up in my mind, Joe, you've talked about like the 15 minute rule in marriage. If I'm still mad about this after 15 minutes, I got to tell my wife about it so we can address it because it's not fair to her if I'm hanging on to some resentment. We've got to do that right. with our brothers and sisters. If we're going home and Sunday and we come back Wednesday and we're still grading about that, you got to address that. You can't just let that fester because it's not fair to them and it's not right for you. And so, and it's it's bitterness. Yeah, it's so bitterness that ultimately works through that flowchart. Is it a sin? If it's a sin, you got to address it. If it's not a sin, is it too much for me to let go? Then I got to address it. If I can let it go, let it go. So, yeah, go to your brother. Uh, I think Joe, you've got the next one here. Uh, I think this number is number five. Uh, number five. Number yep. five. Yep. Uh, back to James, actually, this is, thanks guys for letting me take the James ones since I'm already there. That's nice and easy. Uh, confess your sins one to another. And this is James five, verse 16. This is somehow a kind of a forgotten part of the Bible. Uh, all of these are, but this one to me really stands out as goodness. We don't want to do anything with this. Now, once again, pendulum thing, you know, the, the Catholics and others have the priest that you can go yeah, into yeah. a box and confess like, well, we're not going to do that. So we don't have it at all. Right. Right. I don't know anybody, I I shouldn't, and I don't want to spend too long on my eight minutes racking my brain for somebody that I know that actually does this well, but I don't know that I know anybody who actually does this well, confessing sins one to another. Um, Context real fast. Of course, he talks about being patient for the day of the Lord in uh, verse seven, five, verse seven. So he's kind of in that context. Then he talks about those who are sick, and it seems those who are sick in the faith. Um, 
not just those who are physically sick, but those who are spiritually sick. And that seems to bear out uh, the more you read the, pat- or the, the chapter and those who are really not prepared for the day of the Lord, right? In verses 13 and following. And then he talks about the elders restoring the sick man. Um, and so if the elders are going to restore him, he should confess first thing and be restored, right? And so the purpose of confessing sins really seems to be that you can have more prayers to help you overcome your sins because the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Wouldn't you want the entire church praying to help you overcome your sins so that you are more prepared for the day of the Lord? That's really what's taking place here. Um, so I think a couple questions arise out of this, then fellas, I'll kick it to you. First off, do we hate our sins this much? Do we hate our sins enough to say, I've got to be right with the Lord and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And if extra prayers are going to boost me there, if somebody's going to fast on my behalf to help me get past my sin, I'm going to do it. And second off, do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we actually think prayer works? Fellas, I'm going to kick it to you. Well, you know what a lot of people I would imagine that are listening to this, especially that are in the church of Christ will, will say, and that is, yes, we do confess our sins to each other. We have the invitation, right? Right. People come mm. forward and, and, you know, they, uh, they, they confess their sins. So what do you mean? We don't, we, we don't confess our sins. I'll, I'll address that real quick. And I know you guys could probably go off on that too. I don't think James is talking about an invitation song um, in James five chapter and James chapter five or 16, when he's talking about this to me, number one, when, and this is not every time this is generic and stereotyping, I, I admit, but when somebody comes forward, are they typically confessing specific sins that need to be specifically prayed for? Typically? No, they're not. They're coming forward. Um, you know, I've, I've been dealing with the, uh, you know, it's very generic. They, it's not a lot of specificity. And so, and we do that for several reasons is because, you know, walking down in front of 200 people and confessing a sin is intimidating, but that's the other part of it is to me, obviously the first century church was so much more personal than somebody walking down an aisle in front of 200 people and publicly getting in front of a microphone and saying things to me, these were people that were in each other's homes. You know, according to scripture, these were people that were so involved in each other's lives that they couldn't not know if somebody was struggling with something. And so they talked about it. They shared about it. They discussed about it. That's a very different picture than what we have right now with uh, for an invitation song, for instance. What do you guys have to add to that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to step in here. If, well, I'm just going to say quickly, if the invitation were the outlet for that, everybody would be going forward every single week. The fact that right, that's right. not happening and the fact that most Christians probably will never go forward or go forward once or twice in their life, that's not confessing your sins to one another. There's no regularity to it. There's no acknowledgement of, of continual struggles because we all have continual struggles. And so, yeah, that, that's not what it is. I'm going to say this, and this may be spicy for some people. The invitation is not scriptural. I, to be honest, if I could drop it today, I know my church wants it. If I could drop it today, I would. I know I have church members who are listening to this. I don't believe it's scriptural. It's the mourner's bench. Look it up. It goes back to the 1800s. It's an emotional response of, hey, come forward. And you have preachers to this day that ask four or five times during the invitation song, come forward, make it right. Where do you see this in scripture? And they'll point to Pentecost and they'll point to, you know, Peter. No, they ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? And Peter tells them they're not there. It's not coming forward to the front. It is they Peter didn't, they, lead just as I am. On that's the, oh, man. <laughs> it just frustrates me because it's, it speaks to your point. Well, it's the impersonal it. Yes. It's difficult to go up in front of the entire church, but to confess, you know, I haven't been a great Christian because, Oh, amen. You know, amen. You're right. I haven't either. I probably could have gone forward for that too. Right. And so we have these thoughts. If somebody does go forward for a specific thing for a porn problem or whatever, we go <clears throat> in our mind, like, Whoa, you know, I didn't know he did that. Like that's, that's terrible. no, Go brother to brother, look them in the eye and have them pray for you. Have them put, put their hands on you for a second. Let's get real liberal here. Put your hands, have them put their hands on you for a second, the same way the elders are supposed to. 
and, and have the elders pray for this man, have the men of the congregation pray for this woman, have the people recognize the depth of their sin and that prayer works and that we are putting this on behalf of God. We're taking this to the almighty to have them, to have his help and you overcoming your sin. That is powerful. Go into the front, having, having the preacher pray for you real fast, having a few people come up and hug you and then forgetting about it by next Sunday is not it. Okay. So if you think that's it, please don't clearly that's a soapbox topic for mine. So what is this all about? I think it hits the, the pride and the arrogance. Ultimately, I think that's what it goes back to. This goes back to chapter four in James, what we just talked about with the pride and the arrogance of, of assuming the future, but it keeps us in our sins. It keeps us unprepared for the coming day of the Lord, because ultimately we would rather keep our reputation than get something done, right? right. We would rather than, than beat our sins. We, we want to keep our facade up, right? right? That's the whole, you know, how are you doing today when you pass them in the hallway? Oh, I'm doing fine. That's, that's the answer, right? That's the, you know, heard somebody say it's the biggest lie we tell today is that, you know, we're doing fine, but it's because we want to keep that facade up and confessing sins and confessing weakness, especially I want to pick on guys for a second. Guys hate admitting weakness. Guys hate admitting that they're struggling with something. And so any, any opportunity that we have to avoid doing that, we're going to take it because we don't like appearing weak. We don't like showing any kind of weakness, confessing things. And so again, if you're a guy listening, I'm going to put this one, especially on you, you know, I've even, you know, going back to the invitation, not that it's the same thing, but who's usually coming forward these days? It's women, it's not men. And so I will, again, challenge you if you're a guy listening, don't let pride stand in the way. You know, Joe just brought that up, pride and arrogance. That's, that's, the, that's the problem there. That's the biggest issue is that pride is standing in the way of you obeying this command. Confess your sins one to another for what purpose or to one another for what purpose that you may be healed, right? That you, you know, Galatians six verses one and two, bear each other's or bear one another's burdens and so fill the law of, law of Christ. How can I bear your burden if I don't know your burden? And I think that's, that's the point there. We also I've, need to stop being shocked at people's sins. Sorry, Jack, I'm just going to say that real fast. We need to stop being shocked at people's sins. Like, I can't believe you do it. What we need to adopt is the posture of I'm the biggest sinner in the room. Right. So when somebody comes to me with sin, I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm not going to judge them for their sin. We're all struggling in our own ways. Pretty sure Paul said something like that, didn't he? Exactly. Chief chief sinner. sinner. And so I I view this as like the superpower that we don't use. You know, we always talk about spiritual growth. Read your Bible more, study, fellowship, you know, get together. All of those are great things. This is the big one that goes, again, it's a forgotten commandment because it says it and, and we don't regularly practice it. Why? Because it makes us more dependent on God. We stop going on our own strength. We realize how much prayer we need, how much strength we need from others. It draws us closer to one another. If I know what you're struggling with and you know what I'm struggling with, we don't... uh, Bonhoeffer wrote brilliantly about this in his book, Life Together, that we're not... At that point, we're not together as strong, wonderful people with that facade of I'm great and you're great. We're together as weak people dependent on a savior. We're together Mm -hmm. in our our ugliness and our, our difficulties and we're still loved. And that's what we all need, right? And so uh, this is, we're just leaving it on the table. The best tool for spiritual growth that we have. It's a forgotten commandment and it shouldn't be. Yeah. All right, fellas, we are down to the last here. Will, we are going to let you kick off um, number six. Coming full circle from fasting at the start. Yes, we're going to talk about gluttony. Um, This is the one that uh, I was the most concerned about going over time on. And since it's the last one, hey, maybe that's no problem. But anyway, um, gluttony, it does kind of tie into fasting because it's obviously having to do with food. Um, when is the last time you heard a sermon on gluttony? When is the last time, you know, somebody even mentioned gluttony in a, in a class or something like that? We don't talk about it. Um, t- talk about it from a biblical perspective. Obviously, 
in the uh, sixth century, Pope Gregory made it one of the seven deadly sins. So it was a big deal back then. Doesn't get talked about in our 21st century, you know, obese American culture. So we need to talk about it. Uh, there's there's seven mentions, at least uh, English wise, of the, of the concept of either glutton, gluttony or gluttonous in the Bible. All seven of them are used in a negative light. You, you search glutton in your Bible software, whatever your the Internet, seven uses, all of them negative. Interestingly, five of them, they're basically equated with alcohol. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, Proverbs 23, Matthew 11, Luke 7, every single one of them, the, being, the idea of being a glutton is paired with the idea of being a drunkard or being a wine bibber. Jesus is accused of being a, a drunkard and a glutton, again, Matthew 11 and Luke chapter 7. And so just kind of interesting that in, of, the, of the seven uses of it, five of them is being paired with alcohol. So real quick, and then we'll start asking some questions, kick it to the guys, talk about what the word itself means. Um, obviously, we understand it in our terms to mean somebody who eats or drinks excessively, somebody who's very loose and excessive with the way that they're eating. The word, the word in the Hebrew especially means to, to shake out, to squander. It's the idea that you're kind of wasting your body, the idea that you're squandering your body. And so to put that into one simple definition, Somebody who is completely cavalier, somebody who's completely indulgent and excessive with what they put in their bodies to the point that they're wasting away their body. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about gluttonous. Maybe the first question that I'll ask, because we do have several to address here. Uh, if, if you do some kind of research on gluttony, there are some people that will argue gluttony is not really gluttony is not really talking about food, that it's just kind of talking about self-control, right? The idea that we just need to have self-control in all things, which we certainly do, not arguing that we don't. But again, there are people that say, hey, we don't really need to put a label on it as far as food or drink goes. Just talking about self-control. Hey, you can be gluttonous with, you know, television, entertainment, uh, lust, et cetera. I don't think that that's completely accurate. Guys, what do you have to say? To me, gluttony, at least in with what we're talking about here, does it is talking about food and it is talking about the way we excessively eat. So, yeah, I, I, uh, in I think it's in Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis talks about um the division of, of man into the head, the chest, you know, the heart, and the stomach. And and the Bible kind of uses this framing, you know, Philippians 3.19, whose God is their appetite. I think Peter talks about this as well, that they're they're guided by their stomach. And he's using that as an illustration of like whatever they want, they go do. They don't have any, they're animalistic. They don't stop themselves. They don't question their desires. But there's a reason why the stomach is the illustration for that. And there's a reason why in that culture they they used that as as kind of the stand-in for your own desires because the stomach is that way. You know, well, we want that. We you know, they, the joke about the seafood diet, you see it and you eat it. And, and and it's something that as humans we all love food. We all have, you know, weaknesses. We all have the desserts we like, the fried things we like, the the unhealthy things we like. And if there's no check on that desire, it is it is one of the, I guess the point I'm getting at is one of the strongest testing points of self-control. And so, yes, it is under that umbrella of self-control, but it's a very specific corner of the self-control issue. And it's also one of the more powerful, more challenging issues of self-control is the ability to stop yourself, is the ability to say that's too much. Well, and the other thing about it, and this is something we've talked a little bit at the start of the year about goals and all that about health. We're going to do an episode later on about health uh, down the road here, maybe later in the summer. But there's an honesty with yourself that's required of looking at what you're eating, looking really looking at yourself in the mirror, looking at the scale. The scale is brutally honest, right? You, it, it just doesn't lie. And so um, 
it's very easy to deceive yourself and think I'm do- I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm <laughs> I ate some a salad last week, so you know I'm I'm trying. You know, I'm I'm getting there. No, this is something that you, it takes an honest look at yourself, and all sin starts there is looking at yourself and saying I'm not doing good enough on this. I'm really not checking myself. I really don't have self control here, and so I, I think that's kind of my point here is it is not you know, it's self-control is more than just gluttony, but it's certainly not less than it is a big part of it. Right. My scale is 20 pounds off. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I know I got to get a new one, but it's you always gotta, 20 you pounds take the higher out of your pocket when you get on there, Joe. That's what you tell me this now. I mean, after all, Joe, you eat lettuce on your cheeseburger, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly it. I ask for, sometimes I ask for extra lettuce in the cheeseburger. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm dedicated here, but anyway, no, I think it's, it's somewhat, it is subjective. At what point is somebody, um, have they stepped into gluttony? I would say at what point has somebody stepped into being a drunkard or at, at you know, into being drunk, even not just a drunkard, but being drunk down that road right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying everybody has a, a threshold, right? For those who drink a lot, I've got a friend, um, you know, good hockey buddy, but he drinks a decent amount. By the time he hits six beers, he's starting to get tipsy, right? If I had like half a beer, I'd be like wasted you know, I just, I don't drink. And so everybody has a threshold. Now, how you develop that threshold, I think can be very wrong. And that, you know, how you get there. But I think for the gluttony, this is going to be different for different people. It's, I, I think, you know, the point where it's like, man, this is excess. And I think I've done that in my life where though I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to be on the, you know, my 600 pound life or whatever, I'm not going to be on that show. I can say that I think at times in my life, I have, have engaged in gluttony just based on, I went too far with it. Now for those, I'll, I guess I'll throw the question out. Are those who are on my 600 pound life in sin? Well, before we get to that question, um, and Joe, I guess you did just kind of hit on this, the, the idea that there is some subjectivity to this. What's overeating for some, there's, there's no hard, fast line of if right. you eat this many ounces of food, it's, it's gluttonous, right? All right. If well, I'm going to hijack this-, this with another question and I'm sorry to the timer. It's just not happening this time. Because that, that, that create a question in my mind. Is it a one-time meal where you just sit down and don't stop, a buffet kind of thing where you just keep going and you're on your fourth or fifth plate? Or is it habitual? Because I think some of the Bible ones are talking right. about kind of those feasts that they would have, and it was it was a one-time thing. But when we talk about 600-pound life, that's a habitual thing. Is it Every day you're eating too much. So is it both? Is it one or the other? What, what do you guys think? Well, it's getting it's drunk wrong and being a drunkard wrong. Yes, in my opinion. Sorry, we'll go yeah. for it. No, I was just going to say that that was actually I was going to go that route, Jack. So thanks for stepping in front of me there. No, um, <laughs> because there, there are certain people and this this does get to the question of is being overweight sinful that we'll get to in just a second. But the struggle with it is and that's what's kind of ironic about this last one. These two guys, if you don't know them very well, if you don't know me very well, we enjoy food. We enjoy good food. We go out yes, to we, we go to to vacate. We go to Florida together. We go on, on trips together. One of the things that Joe is a master at Jack as well. What are the cool restaurants, right? What are, what are some of the cool foods that we can eat while we're out of town? Is that wrong? I don't think so. Is enjoying a good meal out to eat, maybe eating a little bit more than you should, is that wrong? That's where the subjectivity comes in. You know, to me, I would lean more on the side of, hey, if this is a habit for you, if this is something that you are stuffing your face repeatedly, again, it's the idea of indulgence. It's the idea of excessive, right? The idea that you are just completely wasting away your body. And so that gets us to the question, is being overweight sinful? I'll give my take. Um, after you guys, I want to kick that to you guys first. You know, obviously a lot oh, of nice. people would deem themselves as overweight. At what point is that a sin? What do you guys will, think? Will hides behind us. Let's us take the arrows first before he, uh, 
<laughs> before he answers himself. I think there's subjectivity in this as well. Uh, I, there is a point at which it is sinful. The problem is with the foods in our diet today that it is just fake. It, it's very, very hard. I mean, you look at the percentage of Americans that are overweight and the percentage that are o obese. Um, it's not natural. And a lot of it is because what is fed to us. It's not... I, it's really not even that much that there's way less self-control than previous uh, generations. It's our food isn't real. I mean, like, that that's a whole other um, side thing. And so it's very hard to be in a, in a good place. But, I mean, we're working on it. We're trying to, to get in that direction. But there there does come a point at which it's like you're just not controlling yourself. You know you're, you're eating stuff that you know is bad for you every single day. You're keeping the snacks around. You're grazing. You're just you, – you can't stop yourself. And so you can't look at someone and be like – I mean, within reason, the 600-pound live body, you can't look at most people and say, that person's insane, they've gone too far, but it's something to be aware of, I think is, is my take on it. I think, uh, sorry, Joe, I'll, I'll go real quick. I, I think you have to bring in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 here. The fact that your body is the temple of the Lord, you know, and the fact that we don't treat our bodies that way, and many people, so to, to answer the question, if you are... If you're overweight, and yes, there's, there's subjectivity there, I understand that. But if you're overweight and doing nothing about it, continuing to just, you know, waste away your body, and that's what the word glutton means, waste away your body, I, I, I'd have a hard time arguing that somebody is not in sin in that case. Again, if they're not viewing their body as the temple, not treating it, not trying to, to get to a point where they're bettering themselves, to me, that's a big issue. Joe, what do you, what do you have to I add think to that? The other part of First Corinthians six of all things are lawful. I think it's what six verse twelve. All things are lawful. Not all things are profitable. I think that comes in that this is not profitable. You may be able to, you know, I don't know. But I also I'm, I will not be mastered by anything, right? And I think this is being mastered by food. This is it's the same as an addiction. Food becomes an addiction the same way porn can be an addiction, alcohol can be an addiction, drugs can be an addiction. Food can very much be an addiction, and we can be mastered by it. And I think at that point it is wrong. So am I going to say that every Every overweight person is um, is sinful. No, I do think that it should be the same way that the man who is maybe struggling with alcohol uh, use he needs to be pursuing holiness and pursuing right, bettering himself. The idea of correct, for something. right? Correct, getting better in that and, and getting more healthy and and striving for your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you know, I I discipline my body. Yes, it's in a spiritual context, but I still think there's a lot of he talks about boxing. He talks about different things. I think Paul was in good shape, just judging by the way he talks. I think he was in good shape. And yes, he walked everywhere. So of course he was in good shape, but still like, I think that is a, an example for us. We need to pursue that. Jack, as you talk about, I think we're going to do a full episode on health, diet, exercise, things like that, you know, um, getting into that, pursuing real food, things like that. Yes. Some of it's, you know, maybe opinion, but I think a lot of it's science and, and we'll tie in obviously scripture there. Um, but I think that's going to be coming. Will, go for it. Yeah, just real quick. As far as practical tips go, um, the, this is all about self-control. And it, it's the point that Jack uh, talked to earlier. If you can't control yourself, you got to have that extra dessert, got to have this and that. You know, At what point are you being controlled by the things that you eat? And when is your next meal going to be? Think about how much time, and I, I'm guilty of this, so I'm preaching to myself. Think about how much time out of the day we spend focusing on where we're eating next. What are we going to do for the next meal? And so it's, it's about self-control. So to bring it back around to where we started with fasting, as far as maybe some practical tips for overcoming this as a struggle, maybe consider implementing fasting. And, and I would say you certainly should consider implementing fasting um, as far as maybe taking a meal out, setting aside a certain time devoted to prayer again, as we started with. But it's about self-control and it's about outlining it and overcoming it. If, if you've got a we, we've had episodes on porn addiction before. 
if you want to overcome that, what do you have to do? You have to be very specific about the way that you're going to have self-control and the way that you're going to overcome that. You can't just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to um, overcome porn. And that's, that's my answer. No, you have to be specific about it. And so that's what I would say here as well. Maybe it's given up a certain, um, I don't know, element of your meal, whatever it is. These are things that, again, we have to ask ourselves, are we being controlled by the things that we're putting in our body? And are we wasting away our body? Again, to go back to the definition of the word, are we squandering it? Are we viewing our body as the temple? Guys, anything else to add to that? Just I briefly, would say for those listening, I, I'm just briefly, I'm not an expert on this, but I've had a pretty good year. Um, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. Count your calories for a week, and it'll probably keep you doing it because it will shock you. Uh, just how much you're consuming. And and that is a step in the right direction when you talk about being specific. So I'll just say that. Yeah, and I would say um, if you are, I don't know, I, I think um, if you're overweight and you're listening to this and you're going, wow, they're telling me I'm in sin. There are different reasons for different people, okay? Um, if you are not one, if you have genetic things, if, you're having, if you have a medical thing, okay, please understand, you know, there's, there's exceptions. Same thing with the diabetes we talked about with fasting. It is not for everyone for the majority though. I think it is, are you moving in the right direction? So I'm not going to pull the punch too much. I'm going to say that that speaks to me just as much. It's very easy for me to overeat. So I'm preaching to myself here, but we do need to legitimately start thinking about our body as the temple um, of the Lord. And what are we going to do with that? And so it's pursue health in every way possible, spiritual health, uh, emotional health, intellectual health, but also, also physical health. Um, and so with that, I think I've got a remark. It is there's an irony to the fact that we went double the time when we were talking about gluttony. We just couldn't stop ourselves. You know? <laughs> Had no self-control, <laughs> no self-control. Um, these are six. The Bible is full of a lot of things, a lot of concepts, a lot of principles, a lot of commands. Are there other ones that you think are just forgotten that go under the radar that Christians do not uh, give enough a, a heed to? And so just to recap briefly, fasting do all things without grumbling or complaining, uh, making our plans ahead according to God's will, going to your brother when you have an issue with him, confessing your sins to one another, and then finally gluttony. Um, as I said, there's there's got to be more, but these are ones that we looked at and said, these are things that we just don't talk about, we don't do, we don't hear sermons on, we don't, uh, you know, uh, just all of these things. And so uh, there are ways to grow holier, there are ways to control ourselves, to to do things that we, we really know that we should. And so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A little bit of a different look. Um, I think there's a fun study for me. Hopefully for you too as well. Um, anything to add before we finish? As go, always, man. we're going to ask you, leave a rating on your podcast app, on uh, like and subscribe on YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening. Well, not watching, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, help us out in that way. Help us. Word of mouth is the best way to, to spread podcasts. Share it on your Facebook feed or, or just tell friends or whatever it is. Uh, we've, we've seen some growth, and we really appreciate everyone who's listening and passing it on. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, continuing to try and think deeper about God's Word. 